If you will turn to Romans, and uh, today we'll look a little bit differently as we, as we approach this study of Romans. I, I want to accomplish a couple things today to set the stage for our study. I want us to try to understand why spending the next who knows how long in this book, why it would be beneficial, why would we do that? Because just I, I, I say this just almost for my own uh, encouragement or, or hanging in there, if you will, but most people outside this room uh, would say that spending more than eight weeks in any study is foolish, that people can't hang in there that long, and, and in maybe my naivete, uh, I, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I, I, think that, I think that the glory of God is worth it. I think the growth of His people are, is worth it. I think the book of Romans and the truths contained therein are worth it. I, I think we as a body are worth it. I think, I, think, I think if we do this rightly, I, I believe with all my heart, individually and corporately, uh, Romans, uh, the study of that and submitting ourselves to the study of that in particular will reap much fruit. But, but before we do that, I want us to give us a grasp of the book. I want us to understand the backdrop of Romans so that we can understand it, not only in its original context, but, but rightly apply it. In order to apply it correctly, we've got to understand what was originally written correctly. And today I want to help us grasp the book as a whole, but I want us to understand why, why it would be beneficial, I believe, for everyone in this room to submit the next, who knows, year of your life to the study of Romans. And so with... Uh, Honestly, with great fear, with great sort of trepidation, ready or not, here we go. We're going to jump into Romans. So uh, I, I pray that, uh, that we will do it uh, justice. So just to give us some backdrop, some understanding for Romans. Paul is universally agreed to be the author of Romans. Romans 1, if you look at Romans 1, crystal clear. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. It's believed that Paul wrote this letter most likely from Corinth sometime between the years of 55 to 58 A.D., sometime in that window. Paul is writing to believers in Rome. He's writing, again, to the church in Rome. He will call down in verse 5 to the saints among in Rome. He's writing, he says in, in verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith in chapter uh, 16, I think it's verse 25, right there at the very end, he says it again, to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul's writing to believers. It's believed that the church in Rome um, uh, was not started by Peter, uh, but it was probably started by Jews who at Pentecost heard the gospel and went back to Rome, carried that gospel back to Rome with them. If you go to Acts 2.10, we won't go there, but it says, that, it says that many visitors from Rome heard the gospel. They would have taken these truths back to Rome, 
shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's most likely how the church in Rome began. So Christianity in Rome, if you will, the church in Rome, probably began with converted uh, Jews. And so Rome is a city. Understand Rome is a city. Rome was a, a it was the capital of the empire. It, it, as such, it attracted people from all over the Mediterranean region, all over. Many scholars estimate that the population in Rome at, at the time of Paul's writings could have easily been upwards of four to 500,000 people, if not more. The population was a very diverse group. Uh, historians will say uh, historians say that probably upwards of 30% of the population of Rome at that time were slaves. Slavery in that day looked very differently than what we think about unfortunately in, in, a, in, a, in a black eye of our history in America. So you, you could have been a slave to work off a of debt. Many times slaves were treated as family members. They were treated as parts of the family, but 30%, probably 30% of the population in Rome in that day were slaves. Some some 30% additionally were probably freed slaves. They had either worked off their debt, they had, some, they had been set free. So you're talking about 60% of the population had some connection to slavery in some form or fashion. Another 40% of the population would have been born as freed individuals. Again, at the time of Paul's writing, the, the majority of the population would have been Gentile in nature. Some, some estimate an upwards of 90% of the population could have been Gentile in nature. And, and here's why. Even though it had been primarily Jewish in its beginnings, in AD 49, the Roman emperor Claudius banished Jews from Rome, made them leave the city because they were causing disturbances in, in the name of Christus, which many believe that is, that's Christ. They were causing disturbances in that city. And in, in Acts 18, verse 2, you see what is believed to be a reference here. And he write, Luke writes, And he found a Jew named Aquila, talking about Paul in Corinth, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So, so the, the Jews there were, were commanded to leave Rome because they were causing disturbances. And in A.D. 54, Claudius died and that edict there ceased and the Jews began to make their way back to Rome. So again, think about this. When the Jews, they're returning to Rome, when they return to Rome... They find a mainly a primarily Gentile population filling what was once probably primarily theirs. Where once they may have been the majority, now they're the minority. You can imagine how this would make for a very tense situation. Beyond the fact, beyond the mere fact that Jews and Gentiles did everything very, very differently. Beyond that, now these Gentiles are occupying what once, quote-unquote, maybe belonged to the Jews. And again, the Gentiles and the Jews, they differed on, on so many fronts, from things as simple as what you could eat or drink, 
to how to celebrate and, and handle different days of the week, to even something as significant as the role of the life and the life of a role of the law, rather, in the life of a believer, circumcision, all those things, they differed. So you can imagine Paul's audience, the church in Rome, would have been a very, very diverse group that was ripe for conflict. I mean, I, I was thinking about this, how to relate this. And, 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 and I, I thought about West Chase. Suppose everyone who lived in West Chase was just displaced. And years back, and then as you're displaced, other people fill that area, maybe even your home, maybe even your place of business. And as you later, years later, you come back, how would you respond? I mean, some, some of us in this room get upset when you get displaced from the pew you've been sitting in for the last seven years. Think about that. Some of you, next week, Lord willing, you come in and you've got to sit in a brand new chair. You're going to have, you're not, you may not even be able to worship next Sunday or the next. You think about that. But think about that. That's a pew. We're not talking about your home. We're not talking about your livelihood, your, your city. Everything was different. Even, quote-unquote, the way they, they practiced their Christianity, if you will. Again, different. What to eat, what not to eat, what to drink, what not to drink. What do you do or not do on certain days of the week? All different. And, and Paul is tasked with the, the job of being a peacemaker of sorts between these two groups. And who better? Think about this. In the goodness and the sovereignty of God, who better? Paul would have had a, a foot in both camps. You, you go to Rome, if we you go to Romans 9, chapter 3, just for a second, just to see again Paul's roots. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Philippians 3, Paul talks about he was a Jew among Jews. And yet, if you go to Romans eleven thirteen, Paul was commissioned on behalf of Christ to, to a ministry to the Gentiles. Paul says in Romans eleven thirteen, But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then I am an apostle of the Gentiles. Paul is writing, and you see throughout Romans, Paul is writing between these two groups. He's writing to be a peacemaker between, two, between these two groups. And throughout the letter, you, we really need, are going to need to understand who is the audience Paul is addressing in this letter. In Romans 1, he gives his introduction. He, he, he apologizes. He, in a sense, he wishes he could have come and seen him sooner. In verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, A man shall live by faith. And immediately in 118 through 132, he, he testifies to the sinfulness of Gentiles. In chapter 2, he, he starts talking really to Jews. And he says, you who judge them, you do the same thing. And in chapter 2, he, he testifies to the fact that Jews, Jews as well are sinners, separated from God. In chapter 3, he gives a summary, 1 through 20, that all, 
All, all are unrighteous. There are none righteous. And in verse 20, a huge shift in the letter. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, witnessed in the law and the prophets. And he gives a great understanding of the gospel in verses 21 through 26. In chapter 4, Paul is going to use Abraham as, as an example that the righteous live by faith, that Abraham's Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness long before his circumcision, long before the law. Faith. In chapter 5, Paul is going to continue to talk about that. It is through Christ that we have peace with God, that we go from animosity to sonship. And that whereas through Adam, verse 12 in chapter 5, through Adam sin entered the world, through Christ redemption has entered. And in 5.20, Paul makes this great statement, for where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. In chapter 6, Paul talks about, therefore, if you're in Christ, do not go on presenting your members of your bodies as instruments of sin. In chapter 7, he's going to again explain about the the role of the law and the the role of the flesh. And that in the believer, there's this this conflict of two natures. That in verses 14 through 25, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And in chapter 8, he gives the answer. It's the spirit. How do we crucify the flesh? It's through the spirit. Verse 8. Chapter 8, 12, it is through the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Chapters 9 through 11, he's going to explain the sovereignty of God in relation to Israel. That God has not been unjust. That you cannot accuse Him. He's going to explain to the Gentile, don't be boastful. Don't be boastful. You, you You owe to God's faithfulness through the Jews and through their through the remnant there. Gentiles, you who are getting invited to the family of God, you've been grafting into the vine. He says that vine is Israel. Started there. And in chapter 12 through 16, Paul will explain the the total all-encompassing ramifications of the gospel in someone's life. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the removing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. He'll talk about spiritual gifts. He'll talk about, he'll talk about how to, loving your enemies, doing good to those who persecute you. He'll talk about loving your brother, and in doing that, 13, 8 through 11, you fulfill the entire law. He'll talk about your, your submission to government. In chapter 14, he's going to talk about what do we do about ways we differ. What about when we differ? How do we deal with these liberties that are not clearly defined sinful issues? How do we deal with those? Chapter 15, he'll continue that. Paul does that because he's wanting us to, he's bringing these two groups to a peaceful reconciliation. And, And what we see, again, think about it in this room today. How do you, how do we deal with our differences? How do we deal with our differences? Where do we go back to inform us on our differences? What's the focus of our differences? What's the root issue of our differences? What's the common ground that we try to seek when we, when we, when we come to these differences? That's Romans. This is Romans. 
And you see on your handout, what we see in Romans is that these differences that appeared to be ethnically centered are really theologically centered. There's a theology behind them. What we'll see in Romans is that Paul deals with these differences theologically. That, that these differences are really sourced in theological understandings of the work of God in salvation and in the gospel's effect on someone's life. This is a huge issue even for us today. Allowing the gospel to inform every single area of our lives from what we eat drink what we wear what we do and how do we interact when there are differences the gospel common ground is the gospel and as such romans serves again many functions many functions but two in particular and you'll see them there on your handout first of all romans serves the letter to the romans serves as a ministry of reconciliation not only of, of lost sinners being justified and reconciled back to God through the gospel, but also reconciliation of differing believers. Uh, really, this, this, this reconciliation that salvation comes from through none other than Jesus Christ, that is by grace through faith that you are saved, that it's only through the work of Jesus that you're saved, that is the most humbling and leveling of all Christian truths. The fundamental source of our unity. All have sinned, Jew, excuse me, Gentile alike. That's Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter what country you were born, none of that matters. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on equal footing before God. Sinners, enemies. Every single person born condemned by God due to their sin in need of a Savior. That it's only through repentance, it's only through looking upon Jesus and His work on your behalf that you can be saved. And that's Romans 5.1. Therefore we have peace with God. How? Through the work of Jesus. Paul is explaining how, how can peace be made between a, a sinner and a holy God. It's through Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ took our condemnation. God's wrath due our sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ as our substitute. Again, that's why the cross, he, he's going to go on to say, then where, where then is boasting? It's excluded. Why? Because your salvation was by grace. This is Romans 3, 27 through 30. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes. Of Gentiles also, since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Jew, Gentile alike, common ground before God, enemies due to sin, in need of a Savior. And yet in Christ, God has made a way for sinners to be rightly reconciled back to Him, so that, Romans 3.26, God can be just, 
and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. God, as a holy judge, can rightly forgive a sinner. Why? Because the demands of the law, namely death, were put on Christ. God's wrath due sin was poured out on Christ as your substitute. But not only a ministry of reconciliation, number two, Romans serves to clearly define the people of God. Not a people defined by their ethnicity or descent or culture, but by faith in Christ. Again, this is Romans 4, 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Again, before he was circumcised, before the law. Gentiles, Jews alike, all invited into the people of God through Christ. Romans 10, 11, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. God has offered salvation, again, to the Gentiles, Gentile, Jew alike, brought into the people of God by faith. And you see on your handout, what we must grasp and, and see and take away from Romans is that Paul connects everything to the gospel. Everything is connected back to the gospel. This is why Romans 1, 16 and 17, I would, key verse. Highlight it in your Bible, memorize it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is, re is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel. He connects all their differences. It's all connected back to seeing the gospel rightly. Grasping the gospel would, would be the one thing that had the greatest, and I would argue in my life and your life, truly digging in Romans and grasping the gospel is what will have the greatest impact on your life and my life. Seeing the fullness and the richness and the implications of the gospel on whether you eat or drink, what you eat and drink, to what you wear, to what you do, everything impacted by the gospel. Paul is helping, Paul is writing that we would see that, and you see it on your handout, that he's writing to ensure that the believers understanding the gospel would be such that they would see their lives as an acceptable sacrifice to God. Living your life, believer, as an acceptable sacrifice to God. Set apart by the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this explicitly clear in Romans chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. He says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Same language he uses in Romans 12. To offer, Therefore I urge you by the mercy of God to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The result of understanding, of seeing the gospel rightly, is that you live your life, entire life, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, to the glory of God. You see yourself, your life, as an offering, a fragrant aroma to God. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, 
do it to the glory of God. That's where we know the gospel is really taking root in someone's life. When we grasp that we are not our own, 1 Corinthians 6, that we have been bought with a price, therefore, what does he say? Glorify God in your body. Everything you do. This is from the least, from the youngest, to the oldest. Everything you do is to be done as an offering to God. Fully grasping the gospel. That's what will have the biggest impact on our lives. From the smallest to the, to the, to the biggest. When we're, dealing with, when we're dealing with controversy, when we're dealing with differences, when we're, dealing with, when we're handling sin, we're doing all of this. Go back to the gospel. Living in the overflow in light of who we are in Christ Jesus. Taking everything back to the gospel. Finding our individual identity in the gospel and our corporate identity there. And my hope, that's why we've called this series the title Transform, Unified in the Gospel. My hope is that God will use this book verse by verse to transform every single one of us and our lives through a deeper understanding of the gospel and the power that God offers us through the gospel. And my hope really is three, threefold, and you see them there on your handout this morning. My, my hope is threefold, that when we're done with Romans, we can say three things. A, Romans is Bible-centered. And my hope is that Romans, through this study, we will become more and more Bible-centered in every area of our lives. Every, no other book of the Bible is, is as all-encompassing in its outlook and its approach and its covering of all the major themes in the Bible. You have them in one book, Romans. Listen to what J.I. Packer said. There is one book in the New Testament which links up with almost everything that the Bible contains. That is the epistle to the Romans. In Romans, Paul brings together and sets out in systematic relation all the great themes of the Bible. Sin, law, judgment, faith, works, grace, justification, sanctification, election, the plan of salvation, the work of Christ, the work of the Spirit, the Christian hope, the nature of the life in the church, the place of the Jew and Gentile and the purpose of God, the philosophy of the church of the world, the meaning and the message of the Old Testament, the duties of Christian citizenship, the principles of personal piety and ethics. All of that is dealt with in Romans. Luther, he wrote, This epistle is the chief book of the New Testament, the purest gospel. It deserves not only to be known word for word by every Christian, but to be the subject of his meditation day by day, the daily bread of his soul. The more time one spends in it, the more precious it becomes and the better it appears. John Calvin said this, When one understands this epistle, he has a passage opened up to him to understanding the whole scriptures. Why Romans? Because of that. You want to understand the scriptures? Let's study Romans. Let's help. Some 70 quotations in Romans from 14 Old Testament books. Not, not to be funny, but Paul is real quick to hitch his wagon to the Old Testament. One gospel. Old Testament, New Testament. One gospel. I want us as a body to have a greater grasp on Scripture. The reality is this. Every single one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are commanded 
by the word of God to be a theologian. It's not just me. It's not just Tony. It's not just the elders. You are commanded as a follower of Jesus Christ to be an expert at this word. To be a theologian. To be a disciple. That, the, that Colossians 3.16, that the word of God would richly dwell in you. That's Romans. And, and Paul is going to use, Paul hopefully is going to use Romans in our lives as we study it. That we could become better knowledgeable of the word of God, specifically the gospel. That we could, again, live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Again, whether you go to Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous man shall live by faith. Go to the New Testament, Romans 1.17, the righteous man shall live by faith. Go to Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please God. 1 Corinthians 11.1, again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. By it the men of old were approved to God. Faith. Romans 15, 4, he's going to say the scriptures were given so that we would have hope. What is that? Faith. Grow our faith. To see the faithfulness of God. Old Testament, New Testament. And understand the implications of that. Grow us up to maturity. So that, because we get to Romans 14, we'll know how to deal with these disagreements. We'll know how to deal when we, when we disagree. Paul writes in Romans 14, and I love this passage, and if we could grasp this in our minds. This is what, they were arguing over food and drink and all these differences, and they're destroying potentially one another. This is what he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, he's going all the way back to what, Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew 15. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. What comes out of a man's mouth is what makes him unclean. Why? Because that's what proceeds from the heart. Here, Paul says, the kingdom of God, don't reduce the kingdom of God to eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy. Listen, for he who in this way serves Christ is, again, here's the word, acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And here it is, verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. You know what he's saying? He's saying, don't destroy your brother over food. Don't destroy your brother over drink. Don't destroy each other over these things that, that aren't what the kingdom of God is built upon. It's righteousness. Joy. And what we'll see in Romans 14 is it cuts both ways. Because here, here, here's what we tend to do with it. If we're honest, we tend to say to those people over there, no, you come all the way over here. And these people over here are saying, no, you come all the way over here. Paul is going to tell us, you're You're wrong. You may be right, but how you approach it is wrong. It's going to require humility, but what he does is he sources it again in the gospel. You're going to destroy for somebody over food and drink. You're going to destroy him for whom Christ died over food and drink. You know what he's saying? You're not grasping the gospel. 
you're not fully grasping the depth of the gospel. And let's be honest, we're still fighting over this stuff today. Food and drink. We care more about that than we do the, oftentimes the word. And again, immaturity. Immaturity. And what Paul is going to say in Romans is that the gospel is the main thing, guys. The gospel. Keep the gospel the main thing. He's going to say in Romans 14, at the end of it, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And listen to this. Whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. Are you doubting while you do it? Sin. You're looking over your shoulder wondering if anybody sees you? Sin. It's not about what I think about it. What what does the gospel say about it? Again, gospel-centered living. Bible-centered living. And and we'll see. You see it on your handout. Again, he's going to give us the big picture. Paul is going to, in Romans, give us the big picture. He's going to constantly take us back to the gospel. Interpreting all of life through the gospel. And you'll see in Romans, you'll see the handout there, that it's not our task and calling to seek to persuade God to adjust His program to our needs, but it's our calling to conform our attitudes and actions to His will. My, my, my calling is to, again, submit myself to the Lord, not submit the Lord to me. And Romans is going to deal with some great... Great matters, and I, and I hope to handle them well, but it's Bible-centered. Hear me, Bible-centered. And I want us to be Bible-centered. I'm commanded to help us to be Bible-centered in everything. But Romans is also Gospel-centered, and it thus will teach us to be Gospel-centered. Paul is going to take everything back to the Gospel. The, do, the theme of the Gospel is going to dominate Romans. From first chapter to the last chapter. What, what he's going to help us to believe is this, to understand is this. Believer, you do not just get saved by the gospel. You live by the gospel. It is the power of salvation to everyone, but it's also the power to live your life. It interprets everything through our lives. You don't just get saved by it and then set it aside. You live by it. Everything he says is about the gospel. And you see on your handout just some some, some truths that we'll see in Romans and that we need to understand. Number one there, the gospel is never understood as fully by the Christian as, as it could or should. I think we would all agree to that. We could spend the rest of our lives plumbing the depth of the gospel. That's why John writes in 1 John 3, 1, See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. That word there to Leah, see what foreign kind of love this is. The fact that God would take sinners and make them sons and daughters, that's, that's astounding. That's why Paul will write at the end of Romans 11 to, to, that, that God is unsearchable and unfathomable and His ways to Him All glory and praise is deserved. Why? For the gospel. For taking sinners and making them sons and daughters. Plumb that. 
dig, dig into that and try to just try to grasp that. Taking enemies. A holy God is taking sinners, enemies, and making them righteous, declaring them to be righteous. But not only that, the gospel is constantly in danger of being distorted. We see that in our day. Distorting it. Paul will make, will do very clearly, he will define the gospel. He will give us a perfect standard of the gospel, a perfect understanding there to, to, to grasp, to dig, to constantly protect. But, but thirdly, the gospel is not only the truth and the standard that we're saved by, it's also the truth and the standard that we live by. Again, Paul in Colossians 2, 6, we saw it in a couple series ago. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. It's the standard. It's not only the power of gospel to all who believe, but it reveals the righteousness of God. You've been declared righteous, believer. What does that mean for your life? This is why Paul in Romans 6, he says, Do not let sin, verse 12, Therefore, do not go on presenting your members of your bodies as, as members and instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you will obey its lusts. Why? You've been declared righteous. You're a son of the king. You have the power of the Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit in you. As a Christian, do not present the members of your body to unrighteousness. And Paul is going to say, if grace abounds where sin abounds, again, verse 1 of chapter 6, then we just go live however we want to live, and that shows off the grace of God. And he says, by no means. That's not the point of grace. He's not only given you, he's not only forgiven you of your sin, but in the Spirit, he's given you the power to fight your sin, to defeat your sin. Will you sin as a believer? Yeah, you'll, you'll struggle. You'll fight, but fight. That's the mark of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, Romans 8, 12. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's given us the power to conquer the flesh, to fight sin. But it's gospel-centered. Why? The answer to the question, why don't I do this or why do I do this? Here's the answer, the gospel. It may look a little bit different in your life than it looks in my life, but here's the answer. Why, how can we be, not on clearly defined things of sin, please hear me, but on things that are not. How can we walk in unity? The gospel. Why must we walk in unity? The gospel. Faith. Even in issues where we disagree, Paul is going to take it back to the gospel. And in light of my salvation, in light of your salvation, Paul is going to say, be careful that you do not destroy him for whom Christ died. Do not put a stumbling block in another person's way. In light of the gospel. Bible-centered, gospel-centered, but Romans thirdly is God-centered. And if we were honest, 
all of our lives, it is a battle to continually center them upon God alone. We are very good about making ourselves the center of the universe. We're very good at that. Of everything orbiting around us. I've noticed this about my life. I am really good when everything is as I like it and the way I like it and being done the way that I like it. I'm the greatest there ever it was. Now you, you, you throw a foster child in the mix. You, you throw something in the mix that doesn't operate the way I want it to and all of a sudden I'm a wretch. Why? Because I'm a wretch. That's why. Because even in that, you know why I'm good? Because I'm selfish in the things the way I like them. I told Karen, every single time that we've, we've we, Karen for Christmas gave our kids a, a book and it has pictures of all the children that we've fostered and, and uh, just to, to memories and, and to recalling God's grace. But every time those kids leave my house, I feel like garbage. Why? Because God convicts me of my own sin. Because I'm reminded that to God, I was that orphan. I was that foster. And yet he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself, taking on flesh, even to, the, even to die. And I realize I'm real good when things are the... When I'm really, I'm really nice guy when all of y'all are living the way that I think all of y'all should live. I'm a real good pastor then, too. When y'all aren't sinning and jacking things up, causing headache for me, I'm awesome. Like, woo! And you know what you'd say, Chris? You'd probably be better sheep if I was a better pastor. I get it. I get it. But, but again, God-centered. Not me-centered. God-centered. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And what we'll see in Romans is, is, again, the character of God, the greatness of God. That's why Paul says it in Romans eleven thirty three. 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Listen, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become His counselor, or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Listen, here it is. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let My prayer is that that would be the anthem of our lives. When we fall short, we'll, we'll, we'll seek the forgiveness of God, we'll forgive others, and we'll get back after it. Because listen, my righteousness isn't found in my ability not to sin. It's found in Christ. To Him be the praise and the glory forever. Amen. May that be the anthem of our lives. May, may that be the goal into which we are transformed and unified. That every single person in this room is, is by the power of God in them seeking that God would be the praise and the glory forever about our lives. You think about the unity that would come about there if we shared one common desire because disunity happens when there's 200 of us in this room and we've got even 10 or 12 different desires at 12 o'clock we're going to break down these pews uh, imagine if 
if five guys came in here and they all had ideas on how it should be done and they all went about doing it differently, think about how chaotic that would be. Here's what we're going to do. That man sitting right over there in the corner is going to tell us exactly how to do it, Tim Harvey. One man. I don't care about the rest of y'all's ideas. I don't care what you think is better. He's going to run the show. Unity. Unity. Because guess what? People are going to get hurt. People are going to get frustrated. But if we're all doing it to one end, we've all got a common goal. Listen, if all of our lives, we were saying this, to Him be the praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. So when I've got a freedom that I need to lay down on behalf of the betterment of brother, I'll do it to Him, to His glory. And when you've got a freedom that you may have to lay down because it's causing disunity, lay it down to the glory of God. Grasping. Again, better grasping the gospel. Not only, again, not only who I am in the gospel, but who you are. That, that we're a body. We're a family. And, and one of the main themes you see it there of Romans is the righteousness of God. And I would suggest the righteousness of God is the attribute of God's character that makes all His attributes more glorious. I mean, think about a, a powerful, an all-powerful God who isn't righteous and just. That would be a horrifying thought. Power without righteousness or holiness. Think about a loving God that's not righteous. That's that just sentimentality. Or favoritism. But a love rooted in justice, always having my good in mind and His glory in mind. A merciful God, but that He isn't righteous, holy. That ought to bring comfort to our lives. But, but, but as we close, again, think about that. Bible-centered, gospel-centered, God-centered. Think, think about Paul writing to a, a group, a diverse group. I thought about this as I was, as I was thinking about, it. okay, connecting this to today. In, in this room right now, I went through my mind, I could think of nine different countries that are represented in this room right now. Off the top of my head, I could think about people from at least nine different countries. Never mind different regions of the USA that are represented here today. There's different nationalities, there's different race, there's different culture, there's different ethnicity. That's a recipe for conflict. That's a recipe for stepping on each other's toes. That's a recipe for offending one another. But listen to me. Here's what unites all of us in here if we're believers, the gospel. Doesn't matter what country you came from, you're a Christian. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what race you are, you're a Christian. It doesn't matter what region of the U.S. you grew up, you're a Christian. That's, let that be our identity marker. Let that be the primary identity marker for us as a people. Not all these other things, because all those other things, all they do, it, and I'm saying you can't have pr some pride in that. I'm saying that can't be the primary identification marker. It's are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? 
And we begin submitting, you see it on your care. If we're not careful, we begin submitting the gospel to our convictions instead of submitting our convictions to the gospel. We submit the gospel to our ethnicity or our race or our upbringing or all these other things. No, interpret those things through the gospel. Everything you face, interpret it through the gospel. You may be going through something right now and Satan wants you to feel like God does not love you. Interpret it through the gospel. Go to Romans 8, read verses 8, 8 31 through 39. There is neither, there's nothing it says that can condemn nor separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You've got to believe that by faith. Let the gospel interpret what you're facing. No matter what it is. the gospel and what i pray that romans brings us to is again loyalty you see it on your handout this is going to be the main point i I think to the whole series loyalty oh no no our differences you see there are differences again unity amongst diversity fill in that one real quick i forgot to say that but loyalty to the gospel see there in the handout loyalty to the gospel is ultimately what brings about secure and lasting unity to the body of christ loyalty to the gospel loyalty to the gospel that's the way we're going to be transformed loyalty to the gospel it's not about whether can i it's in view of the gospel should i It's not about what's best for me. In view of the gospel, what brings the most glory to God? It's the gospel. And Romans 1, 16 and 17, again, that's why Paul would say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. The truth of the gospel, you see it there, has the power to transform everything about us. And it's this gospel, it's this faith that brings about our obedience. Again, that's the next handout. Uh, fill in, obedience. Obedience of faith. I told you, Romans 1.5, Romans 16. Bookmarks, or bookends rather, to the whole book. Obedience of faith, obedience of faith. And, and Romans is going to teach us, you see it there, to live in light of the gospel. To live in light of the gospel. It's not should I, or it's not can I, should I, in light of the gospel. And, and lastly, the question again that I hope that we come to this study with and moving forward is asking ourselves, you know, how the gospel affects my behavior and how my behavior affects the gospel. In light of the gospel, how does that affect how I live? And how do I live? How does how I live affect the gospel? Unity. It's progression. That's Romans. And, and I hope that I hope that our study will do it justice. I hope that God will reap much fruit in our lives. Amen.